Welcome, ladies, germs, people of all genders, to the Ah Real Films podcast, a horror podcast where two siblings, myself and Taylor, discuss a different theme each week. Welcome back to all our hashtag fans, and welcome to our new hashtag fans who probably are appreciating that explanation, but... Oh, and also welcome Nick Cage, who, as always, we know is listening. Yeah, thank you, Nick. Once again, you're our biggest supporter. Um, <laughs> please, I, I think we gave out our email. Nick, uh, just send us an yeah. email. We can work out the yeah, interview Nick. time. Yeah, I haven't uh, heard from you or your agent yet, but I'm just wondering if, like, I don't know. You've been pretty busy, I'm sure, with the new film coming up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, just, like, get the interview deets over here. Thanks, and Nick. We can work that out. Yeah, anyway, thanks, Yeah, we're anyway. on a first-name basis, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, this week's theme is called Beastly Freaks. <laughs> it's so dork. To the uninitiated, basically, I mean, you probably used context clues. Uh, it is, we're talking about monster movies today. Do you want to tell them where you got the term Beastly Freaks? Yes. Our, um, well, I was going to say problematic fave, but he's not problematic at all. He no. couldn't be less problematic. Uh, <laughs> Jay of the Dead on Horror Movie Podcast, who is our favorite horror host i think mm-hmm. both of us love him love him so much he refers to all monster monster movies or really any movie featuring a monstrous entity or person uh-huh. as a beastly freak movie <laughs> <laughs> he has a whole segment he has a called whole beastly. segment called beastly yeah. freaks so um we're doing a little homage to him by calling our episode beastly freaks um, because we're going to be talking about some beastly freaks in our two, sh- our two um, beastly freaks, as Taylor likes to say it in a funny voice. I am a little bit more serious. I just it- think it sounds like a shock jock when I do that, <laughs> oh, and that's freaks. like <laughs> my ultimate goal is for this to be like a shock jock podcast. Oh, if we could so. get on like ninety seven nine Kiss FM, like in Jacksonville, Terry. Florida, yeah, that would be that- great. Yeah. Do you want to just hop right into the movies? Oh, well, that's a good point. We should talk about... My, my sister just pointed at her wine glass over Skype right now. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about what we're drinking before we dive into our subject today? Yeah, I just think it's fun every week we share what we're drinking because sometimes we're drinking like fun and interesting things. Exactly. And you and I both enjoy a fine beverage, but mm-hmm. I don't know why I made such a big deal about it because this week I am drinking <laughs> four buck chuck. Uh, from Trader Joe's. Oh, so Trader Joe's. I was going to say CVS, I don't wanna, but... No, I don't want to brag, but Trader Joe's has three buck chuck. Mm. This is four buck chuck because it's made with organic grapes. Wow. So, yeah, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. I feel like I'm at my best after about two glasses of red wine, so I think <laughs> this is going to be a great record. <laughs> uh, to counter that, I... I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I spent $5 on a single (laughs) bottle of beer. It is uh, Funky Buddha Brewery's No Crusts Brown Ale. It's a peanut butter and jelly brown ale. And I saw this. uh, I always see like the four pack for like 16 bucks. Uh, So when I saw a single, I was like, you know, I got to try that. I really want to try it. Um, And this is a brewery out of Florida, Oakland Park, Florida, where it's probably one of those many hundreds of towns in uh, South Florida that I just don't know anything about. But um, or like or like on what they like to call the Space Coast, oh, which is like Cocoa Beach and all that kind of stuff. It's probably there. Cape like Canaveral, who goes there? Melbourne, yeah, who goes yeah. there? Yeah, there there are so many. I I actually I feel like you could play a game where you make up a Florida town name. Hundred percent. Like you wouldn't be able to guess whether or not it's real. I mean, there are so many. One of my favorite Florida towns, which is west of, so it's on the Panhandle in the Central Time Zone. It's called. We I think it's Wewa Wewa Hatchie. 
we were yeah. Hitchcock, and but everyone calls it Wee Wee-wa, Wee-wa, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, since we're going our favorite Florida towns, mine is also on the Panhandle. It is the town about forty-five miles, uh, forty-five minutes west of Tallahassee. Sneeds. I just love Sneeds. Sneeds. I was about to say. <laughs> I was about to say because my second favorite is Sneeds. I love Sneeds. Um, anyway, this is a horror podcast, so not a Florida town name podcast. As much as I wish it was right now, but um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so your girl had a very healthy dinner of beans nice. and kale, and uh, I have to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> don't. Anyway, let's jump back in. I wanted to, I didn't, we didn't prep too much on this topic because uh, we mostly just want to talk about the films. I mean, there's really not too much to talk about with monster films. I mean, monster, I'm sorry, beastly freak films are, are God, get it right. <laughs> sorry, God. You know, they kind of have existed uh, since, you know, like Nosferatu, King Kong. I mean, they've been around in mm-hmm. horror forever. You know, everybody, you know, as everybody I'm sure is aware, usually they're stand, uh, the monsters are stand-ins for some sort of social issue or political issue. But, um, you know, monster films, uh, we could spend three hours just talking about the idea of a monster film. But um, one thing I did want to discuss with you is I think you're – I we haven't discussed this. We didn't discuss this off air, but I think you're kind of in the same boat as me. I'm not a huge – monster Mm. movie fan i don't watch too many of them i don't seek them out that much but when i see like one that i really like like the two that we're going to discuss here i'm really i'm just really into it um i'm i can be really into monster films as much as i am into any other horror film i feel like yeah i was actually gonna say that as well i wasn't exactly sure where you stood on it but i know neither of us tend to gravitate towards monster films um for me it's because what i find most scary about horror films are the things that are most realistic and usually monster films don't feel like this could happen to me type of territory for me. Uh, but there are a lot of films, you know, as I was thinking about what I was going to do for this episode, there are quite a few monster films that I would say like are really up there for me. I mean, The Descent, which is in my top five favorite, is a yeah. Beastly Freaks yeah, that's film. Yeah, undoubtedly a monster film. Yeah. yeah. And I really do enjoy the older monster movies and i do think horror has its roots in monster movies and i do appreciate that aspect of it um i really do like love dracula and all those kind of vampire movies and i also love werewolf movies um i didn't pick it but like american werewolf in london i think is a really great example of a at its heart a monster film but it's also about more than that and i think the best monster films are as you said where the monster is a stand-in for social issues but also there's other things going on in the film that it's not just about the monster Mm -hmm. you know and those are the kinds of films that i tend to like yeah i think um you know both of our films that we chose today uh which i know we're leaving the viewers on the edge of their seats right now trying to figure out what we're going to talk about listeners yeah i said Damn it. I know. I need to get on top of this. I mean, I'm had, maybe had one too many funky Buddhas today. But uh, yeah, no, I think uh, both of our films are kind of emblematic of like kind of the films being about more than just, you know, what you're seeing on the surface, um, especially I'd say the one that I picked. It's it's fun to talk about this topic to me uh, just because, again, it's not something I delve into all that much. And I got to, you know, uh, with my film especially, got to just do a huge deep dive on a type of film that I just have really never done a deep dive on before. And uh, yeah, 
I don't know. It's it, it's really fun. You know, I a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of genres in horror or subgenres in horror are very kind of, you know, I feel like I've dug up as much as I can. But um, after this experience of kind of digging into these two films, it makes me want to watch uh, more monster films. So Yeah, I think I think monster films are probably my biggest gap in terms of the types of films I watch. But again, as I was thinking about the film I would choose for today's episode, I realized we've actually covered a few monster films that just we didn't identify them as such, but obviously The Thing Mm -hmm. is a monster film. Uh, We covered The Descent. I know we've mentioned in passing Alien before, which is another monster horror film that I really like. So, and I, and I mean, the ultimate monster horror film to me is Jaws. And so that's like, I would love to cover Jaws on the show one day. I've been kind of waiting for the perfect theme, but I think that's like one of the best horror movies ever made. And it is a monster film. So, and I was also thinking like, I feel like monster films are not always targeted towards horror fans because there are a lot of films that have come out even like recently or just in the past like few years mm-hmm. that to me are are monster films you know yeah. or or like some kind of other overwhelming biological force but i mean even i it just seems to be something that like the cultural zeitgeist is still very obsessed oh yeah with, i mean think about you know? how huge the cloverfield trilogy was uh, yeah I mean, or is i mean i guess the re- most recent film came out last year or two years ago um, yeah but yeah i mean it is something i mean the new godzilla movie comes out later this year um and i'm sure that'll be a huge blockbuster hit it has millie bobby brown in it which who's very big right now um she's so hot right now yeah, yeah. she's very in um, so I'm sure that movie film will be huge. And I'm, I, I, for one, love Godzilla films. I love giant monsters destroying things. Um, that is mm. kind of something that I have um, been into in the past. But before we jump into our films, I was going to ask you, you want to do our top three monster designs um, before we yes. jump into these films? Um, I do. All right. Let me hear yours. What's your top three? Okay. I'm going to do all three of mine yeah, first. Just go for it. Okay. I cleared this with Curtis first, everybody, and so I don't want you to think that I'm about to annoy the shit out of him by bringing up Harry Potter on our horror movie podcast, uh, but I am very obsessed with Harry Potter, the books more so than the films, like any true Harry Potter snob, um, but I will say in the movies, my favorite movie, like most people, I think, is Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third Harry Potter film. There are two monsters that are introduced in that film that I think, first of all, were translated really well from the books to the film, which you can like appreciate as like a book reader. But also that, to me, are just like very, one of them is very emblematic of that genre in general. And one of them is a totally new creation that I think is really scary. So at the end of... Spoilers for Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, at the ending of the film... Spoiler alert. Yeah, Remus Lupin, who is their Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher slash Harry's dad's best friend, one of them. He's a werewolf. And at the end of the... yeah, With a name like Lupin? He's a werewolf? That's- With a name like Remus Lupin? <laughs> He's a werewolf. I know, it's crazy. He turns into a werewolf, and I think his transformation is probably second only to American Werewolf in London. He looks... Super scary. He looks still, um, because he's standing upright, so he very much still looks like a man, but, like, is a wolf. I think that's a really good creature design. And then the other creature design from that film that I love is the Dementors, who are, like, these uh, soul-sucking creatures that, like, feed on people's fear and uh, desperation, and pretty much they feed on negative emotions, and they are, like, 
in the books they're described as like ghosts basically wearing black cloaks but in the movies they look more like wisps of smoke that get stronger like as they're feeding off of negative emotions and it's just i think they look really cool so those are two of my favorite monster designs from one film so i'm counting that as as one okay so like yeah one yeah one a and one b Gotcha. Yes, okay. one A and one B. My next is The Descent, which we have talked about on our episode two, which is uh, Southern horror films. So if you want a deeper dive into our discussion of the creatures from The Descent, uh, you can good, go back and that listen is a to that good episode. That is very yeah. professional. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to spend too much time retreading, but I think we talked about it's kind of problematic that they are like humanoid creatures that were descended from like Southern people essentially. But that being said, they are really fucking scary. So yeah. uh, I stand by that one. Um, and then my third is another thing that we've already discussed on the podcast in our, our first liquor layers episode, Jennifer's body. Uh, when Jennifer is like turning into a succubus, especially the first time you see her when she walks over to Needy's house and she like blows up or throws up all the black shit. I think she's, I just, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call her a monster mm-hmm. per se, but I think that was a really good embodiment of like the succubus idea. And she like is both beautiful and terrible looking. And I really loved the design on that. So nice. those are the three. Again, I don't love monster movies. I don't watch a ton of them. So maybe those weren't like the greatest example of how good monsters can look in movies, which I'm totally agreeing with but those are my personal yeah those are all three of those are very memorable like i don't i am the opposite of a harry potter fan but i still remember (laughs) the lupin transformation from the third film it's Um, devastating to me that you don't love harry potter (laughs) as much as i do (laughs) i watch the films they're quite good um so i'm gonna give mine in reverse order but i did want to give uh since we're both big fans of bending the rules i'm gonna give two honorable mentions um i want to give an honorable mention to the thing because uh, that's mm, not really yes. a singular monster design. It's kind yes. of is whatever it's inhabiting. But the design on all of its its forms is it's just crazy. Um, and then I also wanted to give an honorable mention to Helena Marcos in the newest Suspiria. She's technically a witch, not a monster, but she looks hmm. monstrous and disgusting. Uh, and Tilda Swinton... Uh, is it's one of the three characters she plays in that film and it is horrifying when you see her for the first time wanted to give that one a shout out it's too recent i was thinking about like could i put this in my number three no it didn't crack the number the top three but um in reverse order my three favorite monster designs number three is nosferatu both um the original nosferatu and um the uh 19 spongebob version oh Oh, well i was gonna say also the 1979 uh nosferatu remake is a great design but also in uh what we do in the shadows i know that's oh yeah that's not technically nosferatu but he looks a lot like nosferatu and i thought very like you know for what we do in the shadows which is not a scary film Mm -hmm. you know it's very much a like a horror comedy that guy what peter he's very scary looking (laughs) like it's kind of startling every time well it isn't i think it's a running gag every time they see him even the vampires are scared by him yeah they're like oh oh, hey peter (laughs) but um yeah nosferatu is just such a classic design i mean you watch that i mean this is a film from 1922 literally almost 100 years old and it's so still so striking how he mm-hmm. looks and it's so iconic i think it's the most iconic vampire look uh in all of film uh, some would say bella lugosi's dracula i still go with nosferatu my number two favorite monster design is from alien but not the xenomorph i'm going the face hugger 
That thing mm. is really, really gross. Uh, that thing will suffocate the shit out of you, too. That's like a panic-inducing yeah. feeling to feel like something's over your face. So yeah. I think the xenomorph is great because it it's, like, stressful in that it's stalking you and it's powerful. You can't kill it. It's, like, this horrifying force of nature. The facehuggers are so claustrophobic and so scary. And when you cut them, they bleed acid. Like, everything about that design, I think, is just so brilliant. Um, but my number one is uh, apparently it's called the Brundle Fly. It's been a while since I've seen the fly, but Jeff Globebloom as the fly. Now, this is obviously multiple <laughs> designs. He disintegrates as the film goes further and further and loses body parts. But um, this is kind of the, I'd say, pinnacle of gross monster design. He is oozing and just losing body mm. parts and bleeding. And uh, as he becomes more and more like the fly, like a fly. Um, and to me, it's the most memorable monster design. I think about the fly all the time when I'm drifting off to sleep and I think of Jeff Goldblum's <laughs> puzzle I, face. I, yeah, I too think of Jeff Goldblum right before I drift off to sleep. So all I right. totally understand. Anyway, on to the... Wait, I, have a, I, have, I do have one more honorable mention because I wasn't sure if we were going to do honorable mentions. And again, I don't want you to roll your eyes because we've had this <laughs> argument before about Nightmare. It's uh, Neve, uh, Taylor. Before... It's Neve. <laughs> No, I was going to say about the Nightmare Before uh, Christmas. Um, in that film, The Oogie Boogie Man, I talked in our last full episode about how much I hate bugs underneath the skin. Yeah. But when they unzip the Oogie Boogie Man and he's just filled with bugs, that literally fills me with terror and disgust for like hours afterwards. So honorable mention. I know it's not like a real fun monster movie filled yeah. with horrible uh, imagery. Yeah. Creatures. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was fun. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I definitely hope that you get the chance to watch uh, Suspiria sometime in the future because I'm really excited to see what you think of uh, that design. But yeah. Anyway, I know. Uh, do you want to go into our films then? Okay, I'm first this week. Yep. I have notes uh, that I wrote on hotel stationery uh, while I was in my uh, hotel this week for work. Mm. I was very bored because I couldn't connect to the Wi-Fi, and so I took I like got on my data plan on my cell phone and just looked up notes. So staying in hotels, nice humble brag. Okay, go on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not to brag, but I was staying at a Fairfield Inn <laughs> Suites. And Suites. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Orlando, Florida, which, as we know, is the greatest city in the world. It is. So. Absolutely. It's the center uh, of the universe. Yeah. Anyway, I will be doing this week Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954 classic universal monster film. You know... We talked again, I believe, no, it was in our black and white horror episode. So that would be episode four because you covered freaks. And so we got to talking a little bit about universal monster films and about which one was our favorite. And I did mention during that episode that Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite universal monster film, even though I haven't seen all of them. Um, But it's just such a great classic film. The original, you're scared of shit that you can't see in the water film. And so I did want to cover it in this episode. Mm-hmm. So Creature from the Black Lagoon is directed by Jack Arnold, produced by William Allen, and stars Richard Carlson as uh, David Reed, Julie Adams as Kay Lawrence. And Julie Adams actually recently passed away um, at the age of 92. If you... I googled Creature from the Black Lagoon to do my research, and it was all just like... Yeah. Do you want to read this article about Julie Adams? And I, I mean, I read 
quite a few of them. Yeah, but she's yeah. a, like an icon yeah. in this film too. Yes. Like her, yes. her swimsuits she's, and everything. She's awesome. Yeah, and I don't, and I mean, I'm gonna get into the plot, but what I especially love about her character in this film is that it's like a bunch of scientists and she's like the one female scientist and she's like really cool. She's a smart scientist, but she's also like very sexy and she's like dating one of the very other scientists. Very sexy, so. yes. Yeah, she is. She has many amazing outfits. I'm going to get into that in a second though. Anyway, Richard Denning as Mark Williams, Antonio Moreno as Carl Maya, Nestor Pava as Captain Lucas, and Whit Bissell as Edwin, Edwin Thompson. Uh, ben Chapman played the creature on land, and Riku Browning played the creature underwater. And I read, too, that Riku Browning is the last surviving actor who played a universal monster. I believe he's, like, in his 90s wow. now. So, wow. yeah. And he's also, like, very fit. He did, you know, he had to, like, hold his breath for up to, like, five minutes playing the creature underwater. Very terrifying looking as well. Um, and I the also, uh, yeah. one interesting thing i read too is he had to stay in that makeup for like 16 hours at a time or something oh yeah because it took, yeah because they had it took, it took so long yeah it took him forever yeah. to put the suit on and then they had to actually yeah. shoot the scenes so yeah and then he would be like well i'm not getting out of this like i'm not gonna get back into it if i yeah. get out of it so like let's just keep keep going but um yeah apparently he was like very amazing to work with because he did all of these crazy stunts underwater and could hold his breath for a really long time i think he might have been like a swim instructor or something like yeah, that. I mean, he uh, yeah. mu- I, he's clearly an incredible athlete doing like swimming underwater and what I'm sure was this bulky and difficult to deal with suit. So, I mean, he was mm-hmm. awesome in this film. I did also want to mention, and again, I believe we mentioned this in our black and white horror episode, episode four. It's a really good episode. You should go check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. Part of my fascination with this film is it's set in the Amazon, but it was actually primarily shot in Silver Springs, Florida. Um, <laughs> I did notice they're like, as they're in the film, as they're like drifting down the Amazon, they're like, look at these creatures. They haven't evolved for millions of years. <laughs> and I was just like thinking about like True. all of the derpy animals like in Florida. Yeah. Um, and they or show, some of I the mean, people sh- that live in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> they show a, um, like an alligator very prominently. It's in several parts like of the film, like kind of flopping its way into the water. And it is true that alligators are basically dinosaurs. But yeah. um, anyway, it's a very beautiful setting. It, it is also very like eerie um as someone who has spent considerable time in the north florida springs and rivers and everything um it's a very beautiful place but there is like in the back of your mind you're like what the fuck is down there yeah. you know yeah. an alligator will eat me eventually i mean i so. touch a piece of algae and i scream so <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a little girl like ned flanders like, basically very high pitched yeah <laughs> it's a very cool part of like florida history and um, also and- um the underwater sequences were uh shot in Wakulla, Florida, Wakulla County, Florida, I believe. Wakulla, yes, yeah. which is just south of where I live, a fine county. Yeah, if I known as Wakulla County by the locals. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, the basic plot of the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon is that um, there's a geology expedition in the Amazon that uncovers this hand with webbed fingers, and they're like, "This is the missing link," and that's usually what I say about Curtis, but apparently. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was a day i didn't even write that down in my notes i was off the dome wow, that, we are professional podcasters here it's just incredible what um, we're producing here so the leader of this geology expedition is dr carl maya and he goes back to like the lab or whatever he reunites with dr david reed 
who is the boss of kind of that lab, and then Dr. Doctor Mark Williams, who is Kay Lawrence's boyfriend and co-worker. And he wants to them to fund an expedition back to the Amazon to try to dig up more fossils that are like this webbed um, hand that he found. And so while you see this scene going on, you see the creature for the first time. It's um, approaching the camp that uh, Dr. Carl Maya left behind in the Amazon. And he's kind of just like curious. And then, of course, all the people left at the camp who see him are like, it's a monster. Kill him. And then all hell breaks loose and all the people at the camp uh, die. The creature kills them. So you're like, oh, shit. Like, this shit's about to go down. So they do get an expedition back to the Amazon. So it's Carl Maya, David Reed, Mark Williams, uh, Kay Lawrence, and they all head back uh, to the camp and they see that it has been attacked. And so they're like, well, what do we do? And uh, Dr. David Reed is very business minded and he's like, I want to find something to bring back or this trip will have been a waste. And so they are still digging for fossils and they're like, they don't find anything. And then I think it's Dr. Carl Maya who is like, well, this place, it empties into a lagoon. So maybe if we go down to the lagoon and test the rocks there, we can find out that they are like the same rock top type as the fossil. Maybe there's something there. So that's kind of how you end up at the lagoon. Of course, the creature pops up. He is from and the Black Lagoon, so he it is make from sense. the Black Lagoon. I don't know if you knew this, but <laughs> it's a crucial like, fact. They don't yeah. they don't really tell it to you. You kind of have to figure it out. You have to but, deduce it, yeah. but it it the creature lives in the Black yeah. Lagoon. Yeah, so they find it yeah. there. Yeah, the creature. Uh, you know, at first he's kind of like just watching them, trying to figure out what they're doing. There's probably. <laughs> The most one of the most iconic horror scenes, I would say, of all time where Kay is swimming in the water and the creature is kind of mimicking her movements mm-hmm. underneath the water and swimming along with her. And they uh, try to like they put the net down because they are trying to catch something. They don't they see that something is kind of following Kay and they're like, what is it? They put a net down. The creature kind of breaks through it, but then he breaks onto the boat and starts attacking them. So that's kind of the point at which the creature and the expedition are introduced. And from there, there's uh, several different scenes where they are trying to catch him because uh, Dr. David Reed wants to bring him back kind of as a trophy and as proof that they found something in the Amazon. He doesn't care if the creature is alive or dead, but Mark is very obsessed with like bringing the creature back alive so they can further study him. It kind of um, culminates in after several people have died (laughs) trying to catch the creature, it kind of culminates where he steals Kay. He brings her back to like this like cave area, but the men kind of find her there And they save her and they shoot at the creature as he runs away. But he does end up escaping. And that's kind of where the the film ends. So it's a lot, you know, it's not a super complicated plot. And I would say about half of the film is the struggle, like the direct struggle between the people on the boat and the creature. But what I find pretty interesting about this film in particular, and, and here's my thing about monster films. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'm a vegan. And yeah, not to brag. What? <laughs> I know everyone's jealous of me. The one thing in films that I really can't stand is like violence against animals. And so a lot of creature films, I just end up feeling like very bad for the creature. I'm always just like, he's just trying to survive, you know? And I felt that way about your film that we'll be discussing. I feel that way about like Godzilla. I even felt that way about Jaws. I just kind of, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, King like, Kong are... is like a classic yeah. one where you're supposed to kind of feel bad yeah. for the creature. Yeah. It's like, 
you know, you're invading this this creature's natural habitat. And you're like, he's a monster. And then you start killing him. And I said that same thing, I think, in The Descent, where it's just like, just leave them alone. Yeah. So I think the reason why I like Creature from the Black Lagoon so much is because Mark, who is Kay's boyfriend and one of the scientists, throughout the entire film, his main drive, and I mean, it's a selfish drive to keep the creature alive. I mean, he wants to do it so that they can study the creature. But he also, I mean, it does feel kind of altruistic. He does kind of feel like, well, you know, we are we are in this creature's habitat. Like, he's a biologist well, and- or a marine biologist. Like, he understands meeting the species that he studies. He understands meeting them in their habitat on their terms. And and so I kind of, like, like his point of view well, in the film. Well, and the villain in this film, or the main villain, I, I would say is not even the creature himself. It's It's David. Right, that's his name. That uh, who wants to yes. kill the ke- creature? Yeah. I mean, right. he's treated as the bad guy throughout the film. He's unhinged. He, you know, right. everybody else is, in, you know, concerned about their survival and escaping the lagoon uh, and bringing back these fossils. He's concerned about killing the creature and you know, bagging a big prize. And he's presented as clearly the villain in this film, which is right. really interesting when you think of that era. You know, the fifties, yeah. how a lot of monster films were made in that era. I mean, if save for you know King Kong, a lot of these Universal monster films, it's pretty clear who's the villain yeah. in these films. And they do set up the creature sympathetically. Like, as he approaches the camp, the very beginning, uh, Dr. Carl Maya is still still trying to get the expedition to the Amazon, and you shoot back to his camp in the Amazon as the creature is approaching the camp. You see it um, through his point of view, and so you can see that he's... It's just more of a curiosity thing. He's just like, who are... You know, what's going on? Who are these people? And then you can see, as he's approaching the people, they start throwing things at him and attacking him and he puts his arms up like he's not trying to attack them and then when he is swimming by Kay, like he does reach for her occasionally but he's kind of just fascinated well, he's curious with her. yeah that's yeah. how i read it and i think right. the way the scene was presented like the music like i love the music in this film by the way i yeah. thought it really fit the <laughs> setting really well like this kind of like yeah. mysterious kind of mm-hmm. they do more... have the same like da da da, like sound effect every time the creature pops up, which is kind of like it gets a little jarring after a while. It's like, okay, I got it, but yeah, no, I, the scene, yeah, where think, she's like swimming, and I think jump scares were very different back then. If you just had that sound, oh, yeah. people like their brains were just wired to be like, okay, I'm scared yeah. now. So there are two things I want to talk about um, with Creature from the Black Lagoon. The first is, as you said, monster films. A lot of times, the monster is a stand-in for society's fears at the time. This film was made in 1954. So like Godzilla, it's it's very much a film about monsters that are like larger than life and that are very unnatural and that we can't, that are similar to us, but v- different enough. Like they live in a different habitat than mm-hmm. us. So, you know, the creature is... A humanoid because he stands upright and he can breathe on land, but he also is different because he can like breathe underwater and is like basically a, a giant lizard. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've always like compared this film to Godzilla, but to be honest with you, like in my mind it seems similar, but to be honest with you, you know, I watched it again yesterday and I was like, this actually isn't really that similar to Godzilla. Like, no. I, and I feel like it's less about like an atomic panic than it is about 
you know, horror films starting to be a little bit more like introspective and a little bit more like, why are we afraid of monsters? Like what really is, you know, cause that's kind of what I take away yeah. from creature from the black lagoon is like the only reason that they are in this situation is because they start attacking the creature. Well, you know, the way I thought about this film is in a similar vein. And what I was thinking of is like, you think let's take an alligator, for example, if you mess with an alligator objectively, you know, it could, seriously hurt you i mean there are creatures out there you know animals that that exist in real life that could seriously hurt you but you really have to insert yourself in a way to you know kind of bring harm uh to yourself uh and so anything that you do with respect to something out in nature is kind of your fault to a certain extent and i thought that was kind of the creature isn't objectively like you know he's he kills people in this film i mean he's objectively something to be feared by human beings but on the flip side he's not treated as this like straight monster menace type of figure i mean these people like you said are going into his home and fucking with him you know they're dropping all of this powder into the water they're you know seeking him out with a spear gun i mean they're doing something to antagonize him and that is why you know some of the crew end up dead in this film um so i thought you could have presented this film in such a way where this is just a monster you know they could have made it where uh people are on a jungle cruise and they just get attacked by a monster and that's right but they didn't do that you know i think that's this film's main message is that you have to there's some sort of culpability when you go into something else's habitat you know another creature's habitat or go out into the, the the wild and put yourself into that situation and even worse, antagonize. I, I guess my, my comparison to Godzilla, I think Godzilla is like very famously known as kind of like the atomic terror type of film, you know, but I guess I don't know where Creature from the Black Lagoon was, was coming from. And I, I read a few different things and none of them seem to really click with me. So that kind of just leads me to believe, first of all, you know, Universal was making monster movies that's what they were doing at the time they're looking for new ideas so obviously that was kind of the birth of it but i also do think it's like kind of an early turn towards introspection and an early turn towards a more nuanced view of like what is a monster because as you said david you know dr david he's also a monster in this film like he's also a villain and so i think that's just a really yeah he has less redeeming qualities than the actual right monster yeah because at least a monster can swim really yeah well, and at least you know? you know he's he's has you know he's really tender uh he doesn't kill yeah. the woman at first he carries her off yeah. to his cave i mean you know he's he's not a yeah. brute oh well that you know and so that leads me kind of to my last point that i wanted to discuss since we this is a basically freaks uh episode <laughs> i do, i definitely want to discuss the monster design so what, what do you think about the the creature i think it's incredible you can it, it looks like a rubber suit to a certain extent <laughs> But, (laughs) you know, I think, especially for the time, I mean, it just the the level of detail on this suit, like the gills and the fins being Mm. at specific places. I read um, recently. So the guy who designed um, the monster suit for years just kind of took credit for himself. But actually, there was a female designer from Disney who came in to help design this suit. Say what you want about Disney, but they their attention to detail and their craft um, in their animated films kind of you can see that attention to detail and the craft in the suit and the fact that he was swimming underwater in this suit i mean it's just incredible looking suit i mean again very like obviously a suit (laughs) i mean 
but still really real well designed monster design yeah and i um i just wanted to give her a shout out uh as you said the designer of the approved ultimate creature design her name was millicent patrick and so she's the one who really came up with the bulk of of the design and yeah i mean i agree with you i think that the fact that the gill man is so tall Mm -hmm. he's big and the fact that the actor was able to really make him seem so graceful in the water i think is a credit to the design of the suit itself and a credit to the way that the actors were able to carry that suit as if it was their own skin. I do love the design because I think he basically looks like a person with lizard skin. Like, you know, like he looks very natural to me. And I also read um, that Riku Browning, who, by the way, is not related to the director of freaks um is not related to todd browning i spent probably 10 minutes googling that but he's not i don't know if anyone else was wondering that putting in the work on this podcast that's right folks i I don't know if anyone else is wondering that um but anyway Roku browning who played the creature the original creature underwater so there's there was two creature Mm -hmm. movies made after this one and this is kind of something that's only in the first one if you'll notice underwater when he breathes there's no bubbles because he has gills so he's not like yeah, but in the later movies, you can see bubbles around him because obviously it's the actual actor, like, <laughs> breathing out, you know? And um, so in but, this film, he's holding his breath and probably almost yes. suffocating. Uh, and yeah, he's literally, like, he's not even exhaling, which is... That's incredible. And the fact that, too, you know, I, I started to harp on this, but it's so crazy to me. Like, the fact that he's swimming and exerting himself and not breathing yeah. is so so wild to me so i mean just an incredible film incredibly designed it's beautiful i mean it's shot in silver spring so it's very beautiful and um as you said the um music is really great as well and the acting is i tend to find sometimes old-timey uh movies can be a little overacted and there are a few fainting scenes from uh miss k that are a little (laughs) over the top but besides that i think i think this film like it really holds up very well. I know we say that a lot about older films, but well, I mean, let's be it, honest. It, it we're does. not going to cover a film that's old yeah. that we don't think holds up that we don't have fun watching. Yes. You know, I don't want to trash a film on yeah. my podcast. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, if um, I actually watched this film for the first time, not about a year ago after listening to its coverage on good morning, Nancy mm-hmm. and the, the women here. on that show. Yeah. yeah. The women on that show loved it so much. I watched it. I loved it. I highly suggest anyone check it out. It's available to stream on so I watched it on some weird app on my Roku, so it is available for free somewhere, but I think you can also rent it on um Amazon. So and it's definitely worth it. It's a it's a classic that I think maybe gets a little overlooked compared to King Kong and um Frankenstein and Dracula, but I, I think it's in the upper echelons of those types of films. I would definitely recommend it as well. And anybody who is a big fan of Shape of Water, uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie, obviously he was massively inspired by this film. So if you're This is the original uh, hot lizard man from Shape of Water. Yeah, there's no fish sex And you will want to have sex with this monster as well. So I'm just throwing that out there. Right, Curtis? Yes. Um, Anyway, (laughs) yeah. So Creature from Black Black Lagoon. Great film. Uh, Yeah, I love it. So there's two sequels, right? Do, yeah, so do you know if they're I worth this, watching? I haven't checked them out. I was reading on the Wikipedia page, as you know, we only research mm-hmm, on Wikipedia correct. and IMDb. That this film was shot in 3D. Uh, the original was shot in 3D because they were oh. still trying to make 3D a thing. But it was also shown flat in about half of the movie theaters. The next one 
was also shot in 3D because they were still trying to make 3D a thing and then it <laughs> kind of flopped. So the third one was shot flat. So that's kind of the only trivia I have about the, gotcha. the sequels. Gotcha. Well, I will say um, Universal and Hammer monster movie sequels are oftentimes very good. Um, so I was th- I almost thought about checking out the sequel that night, but I had to um, get back into my film. Great really? segue. Which you are, it, you're really you're always good at saying. I'm just so. such a professional. Um, yeah. So my film is a more recent film from 2006, a, the Korean monster movie The Host, released in actually released in the United States in 2007. Um, it's directed by Bong Joon Ho, who also directed uh, Snowpiercer. Which oh, okay, yeah. okay. I was like, I know I've heard this name somewhere before, and I didn't Google it because I thought maybe you would mention it on the show. Mm-hmm. But Snowpiercer, because I love Snowpiercer. So That's Snowpiercer and The Host are two of the highest grossing Korean-made movies in Korea in history. And actually, The Host was at the time um, the highest-grossing film of all time in Korea for a Korean-made wow. film. Um, and this film stars Song Kang Ho, Byun Hee Bong, Park Hae Il, Bae Donna, and Go Ah Sung. I wasn't I, I wasn't really familiar with any of the cast in this film. I, I do watch actually quite a bit of Korean horror films. They I in, for my money um, outside of the U.S. I think that love a Korean. Horror I think film. Koreans are making the best horror films of the past ten years. Outside, of, I would say 100%. the U.S. is number one and Korea is number two of the past ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I wasn't too familiar with any of the actors in this film, um, but I thought they gave all gave great performances. I'm going to give a little before I jump into the plot. I want to give a little bit of background. I did not get this from IMDb. Are you surprised? <gasps> I actually read some articles to get some of these uh, this background uh, what? information. Uh, wait, so are you telling me there's stuff other than IMDb on the internet? Believe it or not, you can use wow. Google too. So oh I got this God. from Google. Uh, I mean, are, do we have paid sponsors yet? I feel like this is like next level research Google or something that we should be up. getting paid for. Come on, yeah. Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the monster in this film. So the monster appears about 10 to 15 minutes in the film. And when he appears, it is like a tour de force. It's all of a sudden he's on screen and he's fucking shit up. Like, it's pretty crazy. And basically, if I had to describe him, because um, I know a lot of people may be unfamiliar. I mean, this is a very popular film. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I remember hearing about it when I was, you know, in high school and a lot of people saw it at the time, but I think it's a little bit less remembered nowadays. Um, so I'm going to just try and describe the monster a little bit. Um, basically, he is a deformed fish monster, right? Mm. There's something also, um, he has a lot of like tentacles yeah, that to me true. are very... Not even like squid or octopus, more snake-like. Yeah. Like the way he moves is very snake-like mm-hmm. to me. I, I like, yeah. I cut, one of my favorite aspects about the monster is that he is not big, but he moves really fast. Like yeah. he moves in a flash. <laughs> um, but actually, so the reason I'm talking about the monster is apparently um, he was inspired by a deformed fish with an S-shaped spine found in the Han River. So when Boon Jan Hu saw read about this story in the paper he was so disgusted he was like okay this is this is my inspiration so i didn't really you know i didn't see i saw a picture of the fish online this s-shaped fish it didn't really wasn't too reminiscent of me but anyway the monster um so the film's budget is actually quite large for a korean film it was 10 about 10 million dollars 10 billion won uh which i uh, you know translated into 10 million dollars uh, which is Whoa. huge. This is a lot of re- like a lot of research. It's pretty crazy. Well, you know, 
<laughs> things I do for our fans. Uh, so it's which is a huge, huge budget for a South Korean film. Even like for today, ten million dollars is a huge budget for a South Korean film. And half, of, more than half of that money, about five point two million dollars, was used for just the monster. Each shot with the monster cost about thirty thousand dollars. So each time oh, wow. you see the monster, that's thirty thousand dollars. So they put in the effort. Worth it. They put in the effort for this thing. And I know. I think the first thing people will think of when they see this they might be a little underwhelmed because the cgi has advanced a lot since 2006 i mean just go back and look at Gollum; he looks awful in lord of the rings movies <laughs> he just looks awful and people were just don't amazed. come for Gollum like that he, he looked amazing back to two in 2002 people were losing their minds he looks awful now um so just keep that in mind <laughs> Um, but I think there, there's a lot of practical effects in this movie when you get more close up to the monster that are really, really good. Anyway, now that we've gotten uh, the background on the monster, let me just go briefly into the plot of the film. I won't go too far into it, too many spoilers, because I think this is a film that people should really watch that is not well seen as Creature from the Black Lagoon. But basically, this film starts off with um, two scientists, um, one American scientist and one South Korean scientist, uh, Mr. Kim. Um, and the American scientist is telling Mr. Kim uh, that he has bottles of formaldehyde and he's telling him, pour them down the drain. And Mr. Kim's like, well, it's going to go to the Han River. Like if I pour this formaldehyde down the drain, <laughs> it's going to poison the river. And the guy's like, no, just do it. Just do it. Pour the just formaldehyde. Just do it. It's an evil. I love, by the way, sorry, so I'll pop in. I love all the evil Americans. In it's, they all speak English and you yeah. know, they don't even have, they don't even care about any of the Koreans. And yeah, they don't, I know. They it's don't like, bother to speak all Korean. Shitty. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so they pour this formaldehyde in. And so the next um, scene is of our main characters, the um, father. Uh, so there's a, it's basically the movie follows a family. The father, Gangdu, um, and his daughter, Hyun So, are uh, like watching television inside of their convenience store that they own because their uh, Gangdu's sister and Hyun So's aunt, Namju, is a professional archer and she's on. Uh, television doing like an archery competition and she unfortunately doesn't do well in the competition and actually i mean she gets a bronze a bronze is not bad but you know the announcers <laughs> yeah. are like oh she hesitated too much oh she yeah just shaming her for her oh, bronze that's, medal <laughs> you know? well also that's like that's like a that's like a plot point yeah that comes absolutely back later. Yeah. and so it's 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 gang do hyunseo and uh he bong who is the grandfather the father of gang do they're all watching this and are a little disappointed but all of a sudden, you know, they're kind of going about their day and they notice like some commotion going on. And you look um, at this bridge on the Han River and there's this creature there just kind of sleeping and he dives into the water. And you're like, whoa, that's weird. I, that You know, that's the monster. That's so crazy. They're showing him so early on. Literally a minute later, all hell breaks loose. This monster's running through the park, running up the side of the bridge. People are getting chased. People are dying. And in this all this commotion, Gang Du uh, grabs the hand of what he thinks is his daughter, Hyun So, and it turns out it's not her. And he looks back and Hyun So is grabbed by the monster and kind of taken underwater. And, you know, the next scene, you know, he tries to swim after her and is just panicking. And the next scene, they're at the memorial service. You know, everybody's at this big memorial service because the monster has killed dozens of people. So, you know, they're at this like kind of memorial and, you know, they're crying about Hyun So and the family, including uh, Namju, the archer, and Gangdu's brother, Nam Il, who's kind of a drunk. You know, the, Hyun So mentions him earlier and is like, yeah, uncle came to my uh, parents' day at work because you were working. He seemed like he was drunk or he smelled like liquor. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he comes. It's kind of sad. And 
This is one of the weirdest scenes of the film to me, and I think this is a really interesting aspect of this film is the humor of the film. I mean, yeah. you know, they're breaking down very emotionally, but all of a sudden the whole family's on the floor just crying, and uh, the brother, Nam Il, is like pushing Gang Du. is like, you fucking idiot. You let her die. What's your problem? How dare you cry? And it's, it's <laughs> a, such a weird time to have humor, but I think it really kind of is very disarming in this film but i also think it really works i mean there is like a little bit of levity as his family kind of gets together they seem to like they're maybe a little bit estranged and they're getting together over this shared tragedy but while they're at this memorial service the korean government bursts in it's like who who touched the monster anybody who's touches the monster has been around people who's touched the monster they're all in hazmat suits needs to be quarantined so they all take him to the hospital and as it turns out you know the monster spreads disease um, or so they say. Supposedly. So they yeah. say. And the last scene I'll kind of describe before I kind of cut it off so I don't get into spoilers. But while they're at this hospital, Gang Du gets a call from Hyun So. is like, I'm in the sewers. I'm still alive. Like, come and get me. And so that's that's about the 30 or 40 minute point in the film. And I'll leave it right there. Uh, you know, everything that happens after is really... I don't want to get into spoiler territory because, again, I want uh, people to go out and watch this film. It's, it's incredible. But, you know, we, we talked early on in this episode um, about how monster movies a lot of times stand for something else. And I think this film is like about five different things. And the film weaves it all together so, so well. And everywhere this film goes, genuinely, um, and I hadn't watched this film in maybe 10 years. Um, it's always been kind of like a classic for me. I've always held it in high regard and going back to watch it again um you know there's a few plot points i didn't remember and the film just does not go where you think it's going to go uh there's so many disarming moments that upon reflection you're like wow that's a really powerful point um but the one i wanted to get into a little bit is the one i'm kind of most unfamiliar with and the one i wanted to kind of go into and that is the criticism of the united states and the large role that the united states plays in south korea this is not something I necessarily knew a whole lot about, but obviously the United States has a huge presence in South Korea. And a lot of times the South Korean people, and again, this is coming from someone who knows nothing about the situation, has just read about it in the past week, but um, the South Korean people view the United States as very uncaring and um, unsympathetic towards South Korean people. There's a lot of instances in this film where, you know, you kind of get that. I described the first scene of the film where they're pouring formaldehyde into, you know, into the Han River. But also there's scenes in the film uh, where, for example, when uh, Gang Du is being quarantined and they're kind of testing him because you came into contact with the monster. They're like, you know, want to test him for this virus and everything. One of the uh, American uh, researchers isn't talking in English to another Korean, like also speaking in English and just kind of being really condescending towards Gang Du. And, but Gang Du, as it turns out, he's kind of a, you know, dopey guy. But as it turns out, he like understands what they're saying. He's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I know English. I know what the hell you're saying. And it, a lot of there's a lot of scenes like this in the film where Americans are just have no regard for the Koreans or just treat Koreans like they're animals or something. There's, there's, yeah. there's also like testing done on different uh, characters in this film. And I, this is one aspect of the film, you know, it's obvious. I, I have a surface level understanding of what's going on, but I would have loved to know more about that topic and understand what the director is going for here. And 
just quote the director as to this um, aspect, he said that uh, it is a stretch to simplify the host as an anti-American film, but there is certainly a metaphor and political commentary about the U.S., which is not very insightful, to be honest. But, um, you know, he obviously had some sort of, you know, his idea was to sort of make that a part of the film. Like, and what happens to this family is, is, a, is largely a product of, you know, the U.S. just being not caring towards their situation. Yeah, and another thing I'd like to say, which is um, between Gangdu and the American doctor, is that the American doctor is being deceptive at a time when Gangdu has made it very obvious that all he wants is to be heard and to be, like, understood. And that's a common refrain with his character. And half of it is because, as you said, he's kind of like a dopey character Mm -hmm. that other people don't seem to really trust or care about his opinion. But also, the doctor purposefully misleads him with kindness Mm -hmm. at first, before kind of turning on him. And so I thought that was, I, I that did stick out in my head that the director decided to have an American doctor come in, be really nice to Gangdu, and you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe someone's finally about to listen to him that his daughter's, you know, still in the sewer. Um, and then the American doctor, like, turns on him and, and does something really callous to him. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I also don't know enough <laughs> about international politics to really be able to comment and, and say what I think that is about but i also know as an american that the u.s has presences in many countries and in many countries probably all of them has a very negative reputation and i have also read you know at least for other countries that part of that is the deception about what it is that they're really doing Mm -hmm. there yeah and i mean i think just obviously thinking about the U.S.'s relationship with North Korea and the fact and about the fact that their presence in South Korea has a lot to do with whatever actions they are taking towards North Korea. You you could see this being obviously a South Korean film. Mm-hmm. You can kind of see that tension of like, well, you're kind of just using us, you yeah. know, like to further your own political aims. But but kind of also on this topic, and again, <laughs> you know, we don't really have. Um, enough of an educated opinion about the the political climate to, to really comment. But I did think it was interesting that there is that one um, American like soldier who's uh, he's on vacation at the beach with his girlfriend, like when the monster arrived and he like steps up and starts trying to save. He's kind of like a Rambo people. character. Or yeah, he's... he's like telling and he and Gong do like try to attack the creature kind of together. Mm-hmm. And and he's one of the first fatalities of. I don't know if he actually dies, but he's one of the first people attacked, you know, by the monster of the film. And then, like, there's this news story about how he goes back to base and the U.S. government is conducting tests and they, you know, they didn't tell us anything, basically. Like, so it's like he helps out his fellow, you know, he helps out, like, Korean people. But then he's taken back to their base and they're going to help him. But it doesn't seem like the United States is very interested in, like, helping Korean people who are attacked by the monster. So. I don't I didn't really know what to think about that, except for to say it's like kind of like hashtag not all men, hashtag not all Americans, basically <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like this guy tried to help us, yeah. but he belongs to a shitty country. Well, kind of thing, one you know? thing, uh, one uh, along with the line of sort of like I, not caring about the Korean people and things like that. I, I did want to go into one spoiler. So um, anybody that doesn't want to hear spoilers, this is literally uh, a spoiler about the end of the movie. So just skip forward like a minute or so. 
Okay, skip forward. I thought the most salient metaphor of the film was the fact that the monster is killed pretty easily, like in a way where you can imagine it more like an advanced military like the United States could have pretty easily killed this monster, but they didn't early on in this film. They don't care about the consequences of what this monster is doing to the people that it's affecting. They have ulterior motives when it comes to this monster, as it turns out. And I thought that was really sad. I mean, that was, there's many reasons why the ending of this film is really sad, but I thought that kind of just, that realization just kind of really upset me. But um, before we go off the kind of political um, aspects of this film, I just don't want to, I thought there was one really funny fact that I was uh, reading about is that uh, because of its themes, which can obviously be seen as critical of the United States, the film was lauded by North Korean authorities, which is a rarity for South Korean blockbuster films. And it was actually shown in North Korean theaters, uh, That's awesome. which is like, obviously must be quite rare for a South Korean film. Yeah. But um, I don't know, thought that was an interesting fact. But um, yeah. before we move on, I did want to mention one other thing. And this is um, something I read from the website Senses of Cinema, an article by uh, Beato Lukasiak. Um, it's a Polish last name, so I hope I pronounced that right. But <laughs> Who knows how to pronounce that yeah, shit? Yeah, there's K's and S's. But anyway, uh, she made the great point that, um, you know, the themes of family in this film are really touching i think the family in this film is very kind of dysfunctional um but it's really touching how they come together uh to try and save hyunseo and i thought she made a great point in this article that every character in this family becomes the best versions of themselves gang do becomes like a dutiful parent and will do anything to get his child nam il is a former student activist and he starts making Molotov cocktails to throw mm -hmm. at the monster. And he, you know, becomes the best version of that. He re remembers all of his skills and does whatever he can to save her. And then Namju, who earlier in the film kind of has a blunder that, that makes her only get bronze instead of gold in this archery competition. Cause she's reluctantly shoots uh, when the monster is coming towards him, she doesn't hesitate and shoots him. So I just thought that was really touching in the film, how the characters kind of like put aside their differences and, you know, just become the best versions of themselves to save this girl. So I will agree because to me, the first maybe 30 minutes of the film, I was like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, I'm enjoying myself. But once the Hyun Soo calls uh, her father and it's like, I'm, I'm still alive. I'm in the sewer. And you kind of see that the film is going to be about trying to save her. That to me is like kind of the ideal movie. I think it really sucked me in. I, I really love the relationship that you see like form be between like you can see how much her father cares about her and that's like extremely touching and i also love that hyunsu like you know you see her in the sewer like they do show scenes of her in the sewer like she really is alive yeah. there's not yeah there's know, no there's not yeah yeah there's no question like a lot of people don't believe gongju that like his daughter is still alive but she is there's a little boy down there with her and at the beginning of the film like she kind of seems like she might be a little bit bratty you know <laughs> like she's like whatever dad you know like all this kind of stuff i just want to watch auntie like in her archery tournament or whatever but she ends up being like a very caring and like very smart little girl like down in the sewer and i just loved the relationship that she formed with the little boy that Me was down in the sewer my takeaway from the film was that it was extremely touching and i think that the film only works if you become very attached to the characters all of the characters are super likable and you want to root for all of them you know i thought there's so many elements of this film that come together like because the film is so touching, it makes its political points all the more salient because of these uncaring Americans, this awful, like heartbreaking thing happens to this family where they're having to 
you know, search for their, you know, this little girl in the sewers. I mean, everything comes together so well in this film. And on top of all of that, the monster is just so gross and so, like, awesome and, mm. like, killing people. I mean, it's just, I think this film, I would say it's the it, it's the greatest monster film I've ever watched. That's why I picked it. And I think it's a perfect monster film. And I would really encourage people uh, to watch it. Yeah, I would encourage people to watch it, too. I was hesitant when I started. I think it gets off to a little bit of a slow start, but I think it's definitely worth worth the watch. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, neither one of us is huge monster movie fans, but this is a must watch, I think, for any horror fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts about uh, monster films? I mean, you know, I think, again, none of us are huge monster film fans, but I think, you know, these are the types of, you know, the monster films that make like, you know, a greater point is something I can really sink my teeth into. And I think, you know, these two films are a really good, good example of that. Yeah, I think reflecting on some of my favorite monster films, which are, you know, Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Descent, basically, those are the two. <laughs> um, what I and, and, and The Host, mm-hmm. what I like most about a monster film is that, in a sense, it forces like humans to band together mm-hmm. to fight against the monster and i think that films that really play on the relationships that people form that they had prior to the introduction of the monster and that they form you know after the introduction of the monster so obviously in creature from the black lagoon all of those scientists were friends you know Kay and david were or Kay and mark sorry were were dating but when they are introduced to the monster to see how their relationships shift and to see where their priorities lie is really interesting um, and in the host, after the monster is introduced to see how Hyunsa, like, you know, takes care of that little boy, that was really touching. So I would say that my favorite aspect of of a monster film is definitely to see how the relationships between, like, the people who face the monster grow and change and form and are destroyed, you know. And that's always what I, kind of my takeaway from a from a monster film is never like, that monster looked cool. It's always like, God, Hyunsa is like, the best little girl in the world. You know, She's so great. That kind of, you know, that's weird that you mentioned that because um, watching the host, it kind of reminded me of like how people band. You know, we get a hurricane here every year now. It kind of reminded me of how people band together during a hurricane or a natural disaster or something. It's just, I don't know. It made me kind of want to watch more monster films, and I would love if some of our fans hashtag fans would maybe um, shoot us a DM on Instagram or send us an yeah. email about your favorite monster Hello. film um, yeah. that you think we would enjoy because I would love yeah. to watch more monster film. I just It's just something I haven't explored. Yeah, I was just about to say, I mean, I am definitely open to watching monster films. I just don't know of, of too many. Yeah. And so, if yeah, if anyone wants to let us know what your favorite monster film is, if we haven't mentioned it, even if we have mentioned it, um, please, yeah, you can Absolutely. email us or shoot us a DM. But yeah. I'm a DM kind of guy. <laughs> Let's move into our last segment here, which is what you've been watching recently and what you're excited to see coming up. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I would take this opportunity to talk about the um, two 2019 films that I watched recently. Um, oh, shit. You're already like I'm too, banging I'm away. I'm too deep. Uh, there oh, hasn't wow. been too many. Let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't caught Velvet Buzzsaw because I've heard some. Uh, that's the only one I know of. And I was about to say, that's the only one I'm going to be checking that out yeah. this week. So. Yeah. Um, I've been a little reluctant to check it out because I don't really care about art. Yeah. Little. But I care a lot about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So I, I, and that's kind of where I'm at. Tony Collette's in the movie too. So. Oh. Um, what? You're not going to. It has Tony Collette. You love Tony Collette. <laughs> but um, the two. Uh, first is Escape Room. So I saw Escape Room in theaters. <gasps> And oh, I did as well. Let's talk the about the horror it. film about escape rooms. 
And I thought yeah. it was like the very definition of average. You know, I thought it was really yeah. fun. And right when I was thinking, hmm, I wish this was over, it was over. Yeah. So, you know, I thought it was really good, worth watching, especially if you have like AMC Movie Pass or something, go check it out. Yeah. Uh, I describe it best as kind of like a knockoff saw, you know, mm. like a, a PG thirteen saw. Yeah, yeah, it has kind of the same stakes as a saw. The, the one thing that really fucking bugged me, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, your characters either have or don't have a backstory. If you're going to give your characters a backstory, you don't, you can't shoehorn it in at the ninety minute mark, and that's kind of what this film did. That really bugged me. I kind of it wish it had just been like. I kind of wish it had just been like six people who were thrown into like an escape room together. I think that would have been a lot better. I think Saw is a good example of like a series of films that is like, it's kind of about the backstory. You know what I mean? But like escape room is kind of like, by the way, this happened to this person and that's why they're afraid of this. It's like, I did, oh, well, I don't well, I care. did think it was cool how the rooms were based off of people's backstories a little bit. I did think that was interesting because then you were kind of, right. as the viewer left guessing, oh, what's this about? Like, but, you're trying to but, figure out a mystery a little bit. Yeah, but it came to, but like, you would be introduced to the room and then you would be no, introduced know, to the backstory. And so I kind of was just like, I don't get, and also there's like, what, six people? You meet three of them before the escape room and then the other three are just like, Okay, and then there's these and not to mention too. there are some you know? room like some characters don't even get their own room. I mean, right. that's kind of messed up. But anyway, I thought it was like the definition of a five. It's like a just an average movie, yes. really fun. Like I wouldn't be like you need to check it out in theaters hundred percent. I think this is a like oh my friends are gonna come over and drink wine and we're gonna eat you know pizza that kind of film. Yeah, it's Red it's Hawks it's film. fun. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's fun. Um, so the other 2019 film I just watched um, on. Thursday night, I believe, and it's uh, Piercing, which is based off the Ryu Murakami. Mm. Am I, am I, is that that's correct? It's there's two Murakamis. Ryu. It's Ryu. Yeah. Okay. It's not it's not Haruki. Not Haruki Murakami. Haruki Murakami. No. <laughs> Ryu Murakami. The very very famous Japanese author Haruki Murakami. No, <laughs> no okay. Um, I, look, I confuse my Murakamis sometimes, but Ryu Murakami, who also wrote um, famously Audition, which was made into a horror film uh, that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Um, but my favorite book by him is actually Into the Miso Soup, which is absolutely horrifying. And anyone with a strong stomach should definitely check out that book. But um, my second favorite book by him is actually Piercing. And so I was very excited to see that this was made into a film. Um, a li- oh, I have to check that out. It's yeah. very good. Uh, I was a little disappointed to see that it was like an American production um, and not a Japanese production. I think the book is very like Japanese. You get a feel for like the setting. It It's kind of just like, you know of it's very like japanese i don't know what how else to better better say it um but Mm, this film mm -hmm. has a really interesting style like the backgrounds in this film are very obviously like sets kind of looks like a play set or something it's almost like you're watching a play um and i thought that was so interesting and the movie was just incredible honestly i mean i i think it was it was almost kind of like no country for old men where if you've read the book you know exactly what happens in the film and at first, you know, first 10 or 15 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, it's just going to get what I got in the book. But this, the acting, um, the setting, uh, the music, especially the the theme from Dario Argento's uh, Tenabre, uh, Tenebre, I don't know how to pronounce that, his slasher film that came out after Suspiria, Inferno, uh, that is like the main theme of this film too. Oh, wow. Which is so That's cool. cool. Um, but this film was like, it's definitely a style over substance type of film. 
And for me, as someone who read the book, that's perfect because I know the plot. Like I know what the characters say in the book. And this was such a stylish and like interesting presentation of the book. I, I absolutely loved this film. Um, and best of all, it's only 80 minutes. So if you want to like mm. do like a movie night, you can, you can mm-hmm. catch two movies in one. I, I went to bed at 930 uh instead oh. but you know uh if you so that's mo- pretty sweet yeah. that sounds like right up my alley to be honest it was awesome with you. the only drawback is that since it's a new film it literally just came out on february 2nd so eight days before we're recording this it's seven bucks to rent on amazon so it's not you know it's a little <sighs> expensive cheaper than buying I think it I- though yeah, and uh, so you texted me the other night, and you're like, I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, Taylor. But And I was like, uh, you gave that to me for Christmas oh, last right. year. That's right. <laughs> um, and I did, I did read it. To be honest with you, I wasn't the hugest fan, because I thought the book, to me, like, it was a little tropey. You know, there's mm-hmm. elements. I mean, I'm not going to get into it. There's elements of it that I thought, to be honest with you, were kind of archetypal mm-hmm. and a little bit style over substance but now that i kind of reflect on it i'm like it actually would probably make a pretty good movie yes, so i exactly. I, am, I am excited to i am excited to check it out because as a book you're just like well this barely is about anything you know and i you know i don't think this is not very common but um it's a better movie than the book in my opinion and i love yeah. i love the book but i thought it was even better as a movie that's how I feel about We Need to Talk About Kevin. It's a better movie than a book, mm-hmm. and I will die on that cross. Okay, that was just a random comment. But, okay, we'll, but yeah. we'll cut that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you always say that about stuff, and then I just leave it in. <laughs> so you sound like a, like a D-bag. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that was a great episode on basically freaks. <laughs> Am I saying it right? I, now you just kind of sound like you're trying to do like an Irish accent or something. Not really even like a shock jock. So I don't oh, know I don't what know. that is. <laughs> I'm just trying, I don't know, I'm trying out some new things. You know, we're on episode 13. We're on episode 13, so I think I've, like, solidly, like, mired myself into, like, being the likable podcast host, like, of the two of us. And so now, Yeah, I'm the cool one. Like, you're the dorky, you're, like, the dorky likable. I'm, like, the cool kind of untouchable, you know, like, people wish they were me. I see myself as more like, oh, she could go off and make her own podcast and I would listen to it. And you (laughs) as more of, like, the... I, like I guess he's kind of like the sidekick he would type just, of thing. He, I, I guess if his he had his own podcast, it'd just be like Cannibal Holocaust every episode. <laughs> would I listen to that? You would have like one listener, and it's mom because she's <laughs> so like feels dedicated. sorry for you. <laughs> um, oh, oh wait, so good. Sorry, actually, before we um close out, I did want to say that I had a twenty minute phone conversation with her today about the witch because she mm. saw it and she literally texted me afterwards. It was just like, "What does it mean?" Question mark. <laughs> she te- we have to talk. Yeah. But she's like one of those people who falls down like Reddit holes. And so when I like called her, she was like, well, I read. OK, so there's this fungus that was <laughs> present in like New England corn. I was like, oh, my God, Mom. that's a really deep dive. Um, but yeah, I was just excited because she said that she watched it because I said it was my favorite horror movie of all time on the podcast. And so thanks, Mom. Shout out, Mom. One of our hashtag fans, one of our 20 hashtag fans. Thank you, but, you guys. Know, Thank you so she's much. She's holding it down. Um, but if you want to be a better fan, you should probably email us. We are ahhrealfilms at gmail.com. We are that same handle on Instagram. And on Twitter, we are ahhreelfilms. Curtis was not making a pun. He's just not great at it. It's Twitter, really clever so. when you think about it, though. It's okay. <laughs> it's not. I don't hate it anymore. When you first did it, I was like, wow, he can't do one thing right but now 
I've really come to accept it. But anyway, if you want to reach out, if you want to tell us your favorite creature feature, if you want to give us suggestions for other monster films that we can watch, or if you just want to let us know what you are watching as 2019 really starts to ramp up and as we are already thinking towards our uh, end of 2019 films list, let us know because I... Definitely, I have some free time coming up. I want to start uh, really getting into some 2019 films. Absolutely. And uh, before we sign off here, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, the Who Will Survive podcast. They reached out to us and said that they listened to us and said they really liked our podcast. And I've got, I got a chance to listen to a few episodes of their podcast, including their most recent episode, which is the best of 2018, which um, mm. I found out about even more films on, that are on my 2018 backlog. But I just want to give a shout out to them because they were nice enough to reach out to us and tell us that they really enjoyed listening to our podcast. So um, I would encourage people to listen to them as well. Um, really two really cool dudes. One of them said on the 2018 that he had watched uh, – 97 horror films in 2018 which i was like holy shit i have a lot of work to do so um yeah just shout out to them yes thank you uh to the who will survive podcast for giving us a listen and we really appreciate uh the support from you guys and yeah i agree really good podcast i think if any of our uh listeners are interested in adding to their horror movie podcast arsenal Mm -hmm. who will survive hosted by uh paul and marco you guys will you guys will love it. So, yeah. all right. Well, thanks so much for listening, germs, and have a nice week. Bye bye. Well, um, anyway. uh, welcome, ladies, germs. People of all dangers to the ah. You fucked that up. Okay, well. You said dangers. <laughs> People of all dangers. <laughs>